Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. Whatever your next goal is, get there sooner with a personal loan from SoFi. Low rates, no hidden fees, no kidding. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com slash legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. This show is supported by Willis Towers Watson. They decode cybersecurity by looking at risks across your company's people, capital, and technology. Willis Towers Watson assesses your vulnerabilities, protecting you with the best-in-class solutions and helping you recover quickly from future attacks. Details at willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the director of the hit off-off-off-Broadway musical Dear Mark Zuckerberg, but in my spare time I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair are Stacey Mindich and Stephen Levinson, the producer and book writer of Dear Evan Hansen. It's a musical about a high school student with social anxiety disorder struggling to connect with people around him, including his crush, Zoe, and her social outcast brother, Connor. It's also a lot about the impact of the internet on teens and everyone. Here's a clip from the show. Stacey and Stephen, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It was a wonderful show. I saw it recently. Um, And it's about isolation. That song is about isolation, about being on the outside looking in, which a lot of musicals are about, really. Um, But this one had a really big element of what social media does to us. And it was a very big plot point in the play. We're going to talk about that, the musical, uh, that and more. But first, let's talk about how you guys, a little bit of your background, each of you. Why don't we start with you, Stacey? Talk about how you got to Dear Heaven Hands, which, by the way, I don't want to call it the Hamilton of this season, but it kind of is. It's the hot ticket uh, on on Broadway right now. Well, that's good to hear you say that. Um, I was a journalist first. Um, I I started producing uh, about 12 years ago and had a real passion to find um, young authors and uh, pair them with some of the veteran directors of our industry. I first met Stephen's colleagues, Vanj Pasek and Justin Paul, and fell in love with their music and really uh, took them out to lunch one day, came with a whole bunch of ideas from my older generation head, and within five minutes at the lunch table realized that they would never want to do a musical version of Edith Wharton's, you know, right. something, something. <laughs> yeah. um, and But I didn't want to leave without working with them. Mm-hmm. So I asked them what they wanted to do. And Benj Pasek told me a story that was just the germ of what happened um, in Dear Evan Hansen, but it was something that happened in his high school life where a senior, uh, they were all in the senior class, and uh, a senior um, uh, passed away mm-hmm. by uh, from uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Benj was astounded that basically his whole class um, 
you know, identified with it, wrote sure. their college essays about it, and he wanted to write something about his generation. Sure. And it sounded like a crazy idea for a musical, but so does everything else when you right. sort of put it on paper first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I said yes. Um, within a couple of months, uh, we found Stephen, mm-hmm. um, who who had the right voice to create a musical that the three of them really wanted to be as authentic as possible. So it started with the idea of of the idea of a high school experience that you had this high school experience, and then how it iterated itself. It it did, uh, but you know, for me, immediately when when you tell me that there's a boy who's mm-hmm. in trouble. Me being who I am at this part of my life, I immediately said, "Well, then there has to be a mom," mm-hmm. um, and and it in it you know within moments became a multi generational piece. Absolutely, um, and that's then, what was strong about this. Wasn't yes, it? I think so. You got involved with this, and what mm-hmm. were you thinking, Stephen? Well, I you know I was struck immediately by this whole concept of sort of the voyeurism of, you know, the voyeurism and exhibitionism of grief, Mm -hmm. um, which was really what I think Benj was so interested in, was Mm -hmm. why do people, especially our age, feel the need to broadcast their uh, sadness and their mourning? And uh, something we talked about really early on was, you know, this was right as this was like six years ago. So Facebook and Twitter were really kind of coming into their own. Mm-hmm. And it felt like whenever there was a natural disaster or a celebrity passed away, there would be this strange public ritual mm-hmm. of people going on social media and somehow identifying with the tragedy. Right. Every, everyone seemed to have. This is a, about me. Yes, exactly. Everybody right. uh, wanted to star in the uh, the tragedy of the day. Mm-hmm. And so that was really where we began was with with that phenomenon. And I think what we, what the three of us all found interesting was instead of sort of parodying that or satirizing that, trying to look at what is underneath that impulse and why do people feel the need to connect in that way? What, what, what's propelling that um, on a human level? And then also how connection isn't connected. Exactly. Right. Yes, the paradox of a world where we are uh, incredibly interconnected and yet uh, you know, isolation feels at an unprecedented level. So, Stacey, why don't you go through the story so people get a sense of what happens is some... Go through it just basically to give people an idea of why and and how important a role, I, I guess it would be Facebook and Twitter and others play in this, this idea of social media plays in this. It does start, you know, with a 17-year-old boy alone in his bedroom scrolling through social media. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he is, you know, within his opening monologue, you know, portrayed, you know, beautifully and poignantly as somebody who is literally on the outside looking in as, you know, as as you can imagine on social media, but also in life. He yeah, has but this, also it's the agony of social media. Now you can see it. When you mm-hmm. were like that before, you didn't see it. And now you see the entire, yes. and and what everybody else is doing. And right, it's so I, universal yeah. because I think, you know, we all feel that way. And his, uh, you know, his life is compounded by the fact that he has social anxiety, although I think we have found that people look at him and bring their own problems to him. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, people have said to me they're sure he has Asperger's or some, you yeah, know, something, <laughs> something else. But people, you know, people bring whatever they have themselves or they know about to him. But he's he's lonely and isolated. He's a single mom who is trying her best but not perhaps succeeding. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he is counseled by his um, therapist in order to build himself up to write a letter to himself, you know, that did sort of a self-help Dear letter. Hansen. Dear Evan yes. Hansen. Do you want to take a little of the plot, Stephen? Yes, he's, he's, he's told to write these daily affirmations. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a great day, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's sort of the beginning of our story is him writing one of these letters. And it's the first day of school, and he goes back to school. And essentially what ends up happening is uh, there's uh, there's Evan Hansen on the one hand and there's another boy um, named Connor, Connor Murphy who uh, has his own uh, complicated relationship with his parents um, and his own uh, inner turmoil. And essentially um, this other boy, Connor Murphy, ends up uh, through a strange series of circumstances taking the letter from Evan and later off stage, um, Connor ends up killing himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only thing that his parents find on his person is this letter, Dear Evan Hansen. And they mistakenly believe that it is a letter that Connor meant to write to Evan. About his own life. Yes. And why? And they were trying to find reasons why he killed himself. Exactly. And uh, they didn't know that Connor had any friends. And in fact, he didn't. Uh, but they they presume that Evan was his only friend, and Evan, in an effort to assuage their their terrible grief, finds himself inadvertently kind of claiming that he was his friend. Um, and this what begins as a little white lie becomes a way of um, of comforting this family. The family needs this story just as much as he does. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds a family with them. They find their son through him. Uh, and then this story kind of snowballs from snowballs. there. Snowballs. And then yes. social media is the key. Snowballs. Yes. It amplifies and creates a situation that improves his life and also makes a horrible situation worse. Yes. It, it improves his life. And uh, what becomes impossible for him to stop is how much it improves other people's lives. Right. It becomes a way of bringing people together, of uh, making everyone feel less alone, mm-hmm. and yet it's all premised on this lie. Right, and they're all telling each other stories that aren't true. Yes. Which I think is fascinating. Given, yeah. I mean, you, you've hit the meme exactly at the right <laughs> moment, which is kind of, did you think about that before? Because how long have you been developing it, Stacey? How long does it, you know, d- it, explain to people how long a show takes to get through. You know, every show is different. Um, this one took a long time because it was not based on a book or a movie or anything right. at all except perhaps a moment that Benj Pasek had in high school, except for the fact that Stephen Levinson turned that all around. And then we brought in the great director, Michael Greif, who's done Rent and Next to Normal. And he also brought in his own interpretations. And so I think what took so long um, from lunch to the Music Box Theater was actually eight years. But it was the crafting of what we call our underlying rights. We didn't have to buy a book, the rights to a book to make this. Stephen and the authors and then Michael um, crafted this story. And and that requires, uh, you know, a series of readings, workshops and developmental productions outside of Broadway um, to really see what you have and to learn from audiences and all of that. So that that process has taken us a long time. But I think what's interesting is the prescience of what's happening now, because eight years ago, Facebook was not as big as it was. Snapchat didn't exist, really. You know, we didn't have Uber. Like, it sounds crazy, but there's all kinds of things that weren't happening in that time period. How, how did you glom onto this idea? Because it does, at the center of most shows, it's the human heart, essentially. But this really does the trends of the day do matter here in terms of what's happening to us as becoming lack of interconnectedness. Well, we we always, from the beginning, we decided we wanted this to be a contemporary musical. Mm-hmm. And that meant that we would have to find some way 
to communicate the ubiquity of technology as it is in our lives into this story. And we felt like we actually hadn't seen a lot of theater doing that. It's difficult mm-hmm. to do because... There's, a, there's always like an Uber joke or a Twitter exactly. joke, but that's and, it. And yeah. what we wanted to avoid was ever kind of commenting on the technology, mm-hmm. but rather allowing it to be um, part of the fabric or of the story. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, because we don't comment on the fact that we're on our phones all the time mm-hmm. as we're on our phones all the time. Right. But it's just, it's become our way of being in the world. Right. I will say, though, that there has been a, a wonderful uh, conversation going on these eight years about this because right. Stephen and Benjamin Justin are from one generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Greif and I are from another. I mm-hmm. don't believe Michael Greif is on social media at all. Right. No, and I not. only joined the world of social media and am now slightly addicted, not in posting, What's but in uh, well, I love Instagram, right. but um, I only joined it because of this show, uh-huh. because I literally had them telling me every day, you won't understand your own children and the way not, they yeah. live and the way they're liked, quote, right. <laughs> um, you know, if you don't participate in some Absolutely. way. So, so this conversation has been going on, and my notes on the show sometimes have questioned, you know, this, author- this, this backdrop. We mm-hmm. call the social media aspect of the show either the backdrop of our show or the ninth character sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think in, from scene to scene that changes. Right. But I, I think that Michael Greif and I have represented the sort of parental point of view here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's a, a line that confusion over it, yes. over the confusion and the what is this and what yes. does it do? And I don't understand it. And it's technical. What I found interesting that maybe you want to talk about is and I want to get to the idea of where shows are, too. Like what's at the heart of all these shows and these connections is that you don't insult technology. I was expecting that. I was I was like, oh, they're going to do another, like, bad Facebook. Which, by the way, Facebook is bad in many ways. And, and as you're seeing with a lot of things that are happening on it right now, from the murder to the suicides that happen, not just that, but fake news. Like, this has been a bad year for... Well, th- that, was, that was our initial... Just thinking about the story, we knew that that was the easy, kind of obvious way of, of doing social media and of mm-hmm. telling the story would be to uh, poke fun at our are using this technology uh, to pose as something that we're not. But we felt like that was obvious. I mean, that's that's the that's the, the surface oxygen. story. Yeah, yeah exactly. Technology is the oxygen. Of exactly. Them, yeah. So so the more interesting thing was to kind of explore, well, what, even when it's fake, which it kind of is by definition, can it reach something real in mm-hmm. us? Right. And it, it was interesting, too, because the show opened on Broadway right after the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It had been before where it was... It had been off-Broadway last season at Second Stage Theater, Mm -hmm. and then it had been in D.C. at the Arena Stage the summer before. Mm -hmm. And in the wake of the election and people feeling all sorts of feelings and trauma, there was... uh, Social media actually did kind of become a refuge for a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, and a place to feel... I remember going on social media that night, the night of the election, people saying you know, get in touch with me if you if you need somebody to talk to. And it was actually genuine mm-hmm. and, and it was actually really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the part of the story that's interesting to us. Right. Well, it's also become a war zone, too. I mean, at the same yes. like a hellscape. Yes. Like yes. This was the day of. Then then the next few days, it, it changed. Yeah, I often called, well, forever, Twitter a hellscape. I mean, how Trump uses it is fascinating. Yes. I like I, to insult him, but he's a genius on Twitter. I'm sorry. Like, no, there's just no other way to put it. It's fascinating. He has he's, uses it as an art. 
Right, absolutely. Well, something. Something, I'm not sure. Weapon, really. As a device. Yeah. It's yes. weaponized. Mm-hmm. It's weaponized. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's talked about, the, how you weaponize social media. So it went from off-Broadway, and then you develop it over time and add to it. And what's important now when you're doing that as you're moving to Broadway? Because what's happened is, you know, there's dozens of shows. Not all of them hit. Why do you think this resonated? I don't think it was the tech. I mean, of course, it's the heart of the, any show with heart does resonate and obviously and becomes a phenomenon. But this has become a phenomenon. Well, uh, again, that's good to hear. Um, oh, you I think it. that Target. we ticket. I think that we do like to say that this story could have happened in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. It could have happened a hundred years in the future. There's always an outsider, and there's you know often a story with a moral tale that has a lie, and then the truth comes out, and the catharsis of that, and the redemption and the forgiveness mm-hmm. um, is what makes audiences you know feel very good. I think it goes back to this authenticity. It you know this show is really. Uh, depicting the way we live in America now, Mm -hmm. the way we are at our breakfast tables with our families. When I first heard um, the song Anybody Has a Map, which was our third or fourth opening number to the show, we've Mm -hmm. gone through quite a few in in the years, Mm -hmm. Um, and it really is basically the two mothers in the morning Mm -hmm. dealing with their respective families not so well and then feeling at a loss. And I, when I first heard the lyrics, I could have sworn that these guys were sitting at my breakfast table, <laughs> that they had literally just taken notes and, and written a song about me. Mm-hmm. Um, only I think every other person who comes there feels that they can relate to the eight characters on the stage. And, and as a producer who's had some successes in a lot of what I call glorious failures. What, what have you done before that? Uh, my last musical that I lead produced was The Bridges of Madison County. Oh, that worked out well. Sort of, sort of. <laughs> um, but um, but but you know the thing that you try so hard to do when you're marketing a show is create a way for word of mouth to happen. Right. And my lesson here that you know will change my life forever was that this kind of word of mouth you cannot manufacture. Right. It is the need to leave this show and call. I, I start talkbacks now by saying we're going to keep our talkback brief because I know that you want to go home and hug your children, mm-hmm. forgive your mother, and perhaps download our CD. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that is the universal thing. Uh-huh. Um, we have seen kids leave. You know, we had bands of teenagers come in the beginning who loved right. Ben Platt, our star, sure. um, from the Pitch Perfect movies, but they, they want to come back with their parents and mm-hmm. talk to mm-hmm. their parents afterwards. We have parents who come with each other on their theater date night, and they come back and they bring their kids. Right. We have friends calling friends. You see it outside the theater. I yeah. have stood at a matinee and seen the people leave and get back online to buy more tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a conversation starter. Absolutely. I brought my son, 15, <laughs> who's like adept. Uh, his, uh, the unfortunate thing about my kids is both his parents are highly technically literate, mm. and so they can't fool us on anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, it's super hard for them to do anything good online. Talk about that idea of how you get that because it's really it does it does, it has an I was looking at the uh, the social media on the show it's quite enormous like in terms of how it gets known and I think it did happen with Hamilton for sure when I was talking to Jeffrey Sellers he said that he thought that online had so much to do the conversation that just continued on and on and on about the show absolutely and that is something as Stacy said that is that is organic and that we we can't control and right. um, what's been interesting to me is. There's something about these characters in this world that uh, especially young people really want to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot like Hamilton, they they don't, uh, I guess it shows the way people are interacting with culture today. It's, mm-hmm. n- it's not 
uh, what I would have done when I was a kid. It's right. it's really interactive. Well, they want to I mean, continue the relationship. Yes. So people are people are writing fan fiction and making fan art. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go on Instagram, you'll see all sorts of uh, drawings and poems and mm-hmm. songs. And that's super interesting. Like they want to continue the story and they want to embellish the story. And I, I, that's something that I do think is new to social media. And well, you know, it's interesting. It started with Rent in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Rent was one of those plays that just, con- and Angels in America, I would say probably, are two shows that the conversation had to continue after. Yes, Rent was, was very big for all three of us. We're here talking with Stacey Mindich and Stephen Levinson, the producer and book writer of Dear Evan Hansen the hit musical about a high school student with social anxiety disorder and social media problems. This podcast is brought to you by SoFi. Whether you want to cut your credit card debt, pay for home improvement, or cover a big purchase, a personal loan from SoFi is the easiest way to make your goals happen. From low rates to no hidden fees, SoFi is a new financial company that is all about helping you save money. Plus, when you pay off your existing credit card debt with a personal loan from SoFi, you may even raise your credit score too. Find your rate in just two minutes. Get started at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SOFI.com slash legal for more information. Loans originated by SOFI Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hey, hey, I'm here. I just took a lift over here and um, I heard you wanted me on your show. Uh, not particularly. We let you in just for this one thing, so please read the, the, oh, thanks. the ad pickup here. Anyway, every Friday we answer on Too Embarrassed to Ask all of your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about last week? We talked about Uber. What else? Uh, we've talked about Uber before mm-hmm. on the show. We had a great episode about a month ago with our reporter, Johanna Bouillon. But this time we actually spoke with Mike Isaac, who used to work for Recode, and now he's with The New York Times. And um, he's written a bombshell of a story recently that everyone's talking about. And so we, we had an in-depth conversation with Mike. All roads lead to Recode, really, in many ways, I guess. <laughs> it's true. It is the er tech site, really. <laughs> I think I'll write an essay on that. Anyway, it was a great discussion, and we hope you'll go listen to it. And we talked about lots and various things, and, and Mike cursed, which will be great. Sorry about that, Dean Baquette, but that's the way he really is. Uh, you can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good and Gareth Swisher. See you there. Today in the Red Chair are Stacey Mindich and Stephen Levinson, the producer and the book writer of Dear Evan Hansen, which is an amazing musical right now on Broadway. It's about a high school student with a social anxiety disorder and a problem with the Internet. <laughs> a problem, it's the plot point. So we were just talking about that idea. Um, can you talk about each of the characters, each of you sort of take one and talk about what they mean and what, they, what you're trying to do? You're, obviously, your star is well-known from Pitch mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, Ben Platt, who mm-hmm. plays uh, Evan Hansen, who... Um, We've we've been discussing, but uh, he's Evan, the most awkward seventeen year old ever. He is. I have to he tell you. is. I was uh, like, Ow. He is. Um, he is an um, an open wound of a of a That's person. That's a very good way, or a delicate flower, <laughs> or an exposed nerve. Yes, um, open wound is yes. Good. He, um, you know, Evan was the was the beginning of our story when we when we mm-hmm. started talking about this idea and trying to kind of abstract it and think about what was at the heart of it, we, we started to think about the idea of connection immediately, mm-hmm. that, that all of this had to do with the desire and the need and the hunger to connect. And loneliness. And loneliness. So, mm-hmm. we, so we immediately thought, 
you know, in a dramatic sense, who would be the the person who is unable to connect, mm-hmm. uh, who would find that most difficult? And Evan was who we eventually created. He is somebody mm-hmm. in a world of connections who is completely disconnected mm-hmm. and desperate to connect and also terrified And doesn't to know how. Exactly. And, and is always socially awkward. Yes. And know? he looks around, as I, I think many of us do, at um, social media and sees a world of people who are fluent Um, and who seem to be able to navigate this world of communication that he finds baffling. And they look happy as ever. Everyone's happy on Instagram and everything's, all the food is delicious. Yes. Everybody's super happy. I had a, Someone who was a millennial uh, who was saying, oh, look, my I'm not as happy as my friends. I'm like, they're not happy. You don't know yeah, they're happy. Uh, and then like a week later, two of them divorce. I'm like, well, that's the thing. That. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. what Benjamin, Justin and I were just talking recently about how when we were in high school, we assumed that everybody was having more fun than mm-hmm. we were. But now if you're a high school student, you have proof, Pro- proof that they every are. day. They're allegedly that, having yes, more fun. Everybody is happier than yeah. you are. I can tell you as a super old person, it was so great not to know anything or, or have a phone around it. <laughs> You found out on Monday morning For when me, you, you know, yeah. at the locker, but you didn't like in real time yes. experience yeah. that live action pain. Right, but right. I will live say action pain. I love that. <laughs> that's 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 the subtitle of our yeah. musical. Um, I do think though that the the weird thing about social media is we've all become high schoolers now. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we totally. are all looking yeah. and seeing how much fun everybody yeah, else is exactly. having. I have to tell you that, uh, you know, I literally went on Instagram, you know, to post mm-hmm. about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was getting like 21 likes here or there, basically from, you know, people who know me really well. Mm-hmm. And then one day, Laura Dreyfus, who's in our show, mm-hmm. liked one of my pictures. Oh, wow. And I understood Everything. Because it was like yeah, the most huge. thrilling moment of <laughs> my social media life uh-huh, uh-huh. that somebody I thought was cool and young <laughs> liked <laughs> my picture. Okay, all right. So good. it works. Okay, all right. So talk about the other character, the mothers, the both parents. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, Heidi is um, a single mom. This is Evan's mom. Uh, Heidi Hansen, Evan's mom. And, um, you know, I think she is uh, an incredible depiction of, car- you know, contemporary motherhood, whether you're a single mom under or not. Pressure. Under pressure. Busy, under pressure, um, trying hard, absolutely love your child, but, you know, in the daily rush of things, doesn't always get everything right. Also lonely. And, and mm-hmm. also, she is also lonely. And... Um, and, you know, sometimes when you say I love you to your child, it means 10 things. It means do your homework, brush your teeth. I hope you're okay. I don't have time, but I will catch you later. Mm-hmm. And I think Stephen, in less words than more, actually captures that in yeah. Heidi. Absolutely. I think she's a very important character for some reason. Mm-hmm. Very, mom too. very. Yeah. Um, because she, you know, f- she is the one that he comes home to in the end and, mm-hmm. and discovers his, I hope spoiler alerts are okay, but, uh, you know, discovers, you know, he has something that he didn't realize before. Mm-hmm. Um, Cynthia Murphy, who is the other mom, Connor Murphy's mom, you know, is, you know, is equally as relatable. Um, and I think it takes us part of her journey to really come to understand her and her fortitude because she goes through the grief, the absolute horror, the last thing that any mother or mm-hmm. father ever, ever, ever wants to go through. And yet she's so admirable because she keeps finding ways to lift herself up and to mm-hmm. keep life going. Mm-hmm. And she's a true survivor. And, you know, it actually took me a couple of years of watching the show every night to, to really understand her plight mm-hmm. um, because, you know, at first you don't you don't want anything to do with that mother. Right. Um, but then you realize that there are people like that walking around our world today and they have picked themselves up and kept going. And, and especially with the pain. Mm-hmm. And the pain. And the father? 
The father, um, you know, is um, an interesting nut to crack because he at first doesn't emote about his pain. And, I, you know, again, it's just just gives credit to Stephen's um, real knack for credible, authentic characters um, because I think that is so true of so many men. Mm-hmm. There's a line in the show about how he didn't even cry at the funeral. Right. Um, so that when he does crack um, at the end of Act One, it's an in- incredibly potent mm-hmm. emotional moment. Um, well, Larry and Cynthia and, and Zoe, who's their daughter, their daughter. and uh, Connor's sister, mm-hmm. are all really. And Evan Hansen's yes, Evan, Yes, who exactly. Really They're all, by the time we meet them at the beginning of the show, they, they have been through hell already. Mm-hmm. They have a son, Connor, who uh, has been trouble for a very long time yeah, who and they been don't in like, trouble. Who they don't. Yes, and they've gotten to that point that a lot of parents get to with a yeah, with a yeah. troubled child where you, you, your affection for them has begun to even go away or you, you right. don't know what to do. Well, you do the I wish you were dead but not really me yes, and exactly, then they are. Exactly. Like, that's to me, I think, the difficulty they had is they right. didn't like him. Yes, and Cynthia is still, I think, struggling and fighting and searching for a way to get through to him whereas Larry has by the time the show started just just written up. him off and as right. as has Zoe. Right. And then your your Zoe is a really yeah. again is another strong character. Yeah, Zoe is um yeah, is a survivor really. She is a she is a child that has grown up um sort of out of the spotlight because her brother took Sucks up so up much of the, the oxygen. oxygen. Exactly. Right. Right. Um so she has a very bitter uh sense of humor. I think she's a really funny dark person. She's, mm-hmm. She acts a lot older than she is. Mm-hmm. She, she has a lot of wisdom from all of those years of pain and family therapy um, and kind of a jaundiced view of the world. Absolutely. And then your other extra characters are also very interesting, yeah. like the girl who... Um, well, Alana, yeah. who, who is sort of... Um, our voice of social media yeah, in a lot of ways. Is, oh Alana, I met Alana is, uh, hundred times. Yes, Alana is I don't trying know if very you hard. Don't live in Silicon Valley, but I like. Oh my God, her. <laughs> yes. No. Alana is. Uh, she is desperate to keep a, a bright smile on yeah. and to show everybody how great she is. I always say about Alana: if you ask her, she has a million friends. Right. I mean, she is surrounded by none. friends, but. Yeah. Really, she doesn't have many. And and it, even in the show, she likes to refer to them as acquaintances mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. like to think that she she didn't know how to describe all of these people who she doesn't really know. And then she heard the word acquaintance and But once she gets in a thought, blog, she yes. blossoms. But it's a real, um, uh, you know, a, a great symbol of, you know, the need for community because mm-hmm. she uses knowingly, unknowingly, the experience of Connor's death and Evan's, right. you know, decision to create a Connor, the Connor Project um, to create a community and a role and a life for herself. That's right. Mm-hmm. When she gets the blog, it's interesting. And then she, when she gets the letters, that's, you know, she uses yeah. them like she's almost like a journalist. Like, I got, yeah. I got the memo or something. Totally. Like and she, uh, she, she's also sort of represents someone who doesn't believe in privacy. You know, right. there's a moment where he says those were private, those letters, and she sort of what? has no idea what he even means by that. Right. Because we, we don't really live in that world anymore. Because Everything she wants to open. use it for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. She wants to use it for advantage. Yes. And she, she actually, uh, you know, w- we always try to be careful that she's never a villain. She's always right. trying to help people. She's trying to reach people. Um, she just goes about it perhaps the wrong way. And then last you have the geek. <laughs> yes. the, the the comic um, yeah, the Jared Kleiman okay. who you know together with Alana are also they're you the know, same yeah, they're there the are same. Greek chorus there yeah. are community yes. because mm-hmm. this show actually started out with a little bit of an ensemble that got cut after mm-hmm. a workshop um, but but Will is um, the comic relief he plays off of Evan um, he is he's Evan's uh, family friend in quotes right, right. Uh, which according to Jared means they're not really friends right right uh, Jared pretends to be the the guy who's got it all figured out, but 
all of these characters are lost and alone in different ways. Yeah. But, uh, Highly but, cynical. Yes. Jared is also our truth teller. Right. Um, Jared is kind of often the voice of the audience mm-hmm. pointing out what we're thinking. Right. Uh, so he serves a really interesting and useful but purpose. But yet he goes along with it. Like he goes along with a lie. Which absolutely. Is, which it gives him something fun to do too. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I think is really striking is despite like sort of this awful situation, you're very kind to the characters. You know what I mean? Like a lot of musicals recently, there's not kind. You know what I mean? You just, I guess every Stephen Sondheim movie, you feel bad for ter- everybody in it. Um, <laughs> a musical. Um, but it's very kind to these people who are struggling to each of them in a different way, which I think is an interesting way to do that. We always wanted to sort of thread that needle. And, and I, I, I think if you want to, re- if we want people to relate to the show, then the idea really is that, um, you know, I always said, if every mother in that audience doesn't ultimately want to hug Evan, then we're mm-hmm. not doing the right thing. Right. Um, you know, you, you, we want everyone to essentially be kind and feel, you know, a warmth about our show. And everyone in the show is doing things for the right reason. So in the next section, we're going to talk about where theater is going and stuff like that. But in this one, when you're trying to get to what Evan does, it is an awful thing he does. Mm-hmm. It is an awful, awful thing he does. And then he uses it, to, uses social media to amplify that awfulness. What do you think of what he did? Like as, you know, because he's a fictional character, but he's not kind of thing. He's not fictional to me anymore. Right. Yeah. Because n- not only have I lived with him for so long, but I stand in the back of the theater, and I have been for so many years, and people come up to me and say, I'm Evan. Mm-hmm. That was me in high school. Or maybe they didn't tell the lie. Maybe they didn't, you know, have the, 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 the tragic events. But, you know, we're all a little bit like that. I've mm-hmm. had people say, I'm Heidi, or, um, you know, my nephew is Evan, my next-door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, he, he is um, just one of those absolutely, utterly relatable authentic characters. And so, yes, he did a horrible thing, but it has become so apparent for me in knowing the script by heart now mm-hmm. that... How many times have you watched? Uh, every day. So many times. Yeah. So many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's all been deeply pleasurable. But you see how this kind of thing can actually happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that is the beauty of Stephen's writing. Right. He, he captured something Maybe it even did. Maybe it does in smaller ways, less musically, you know, accentuated. But it is something that is very believable in America yeah, right so, now. So have you, do you have children? You have kids? I have three kids. And they're how old? Uh, almost 15, so 17, and uh, 19. Have they had their social media horrible shows yet or not? Uh, we're all struggling and learning. I think not just my family, but every family. My son had one with a video, with a bad video. And it went up and he, and he had another one on Snapchat, which was interesting. And it was uh, it was interesting because the schools are trying to struggle with these things too. Like had it once things become apparent. And I remember the school saying, it was not terrible like this, but it was an, one where he shouldn't have been in a video and was and this and that. And the school said, well, you know, we don't want to be punitive. And I said, no, we want to be punitive. <laughs> <laughs> we actually do. We want some cost for what, what th- that they learning that thing. So can you talk about that idea of like, do you think he pays enough for what he's done or does he have to pay? Because social media now lets you have like mm-hmm. people put bad videos. They put new pictures. They do, There's so much, all these things that teens are doing. Revenge porn, like even like you just. Well, Evan is, um, you know, if you track his journey, I, I always, you know, if, if you look at the granular level, the first time that they his parents come to Evan and say this letter, we found this letter with our son. The first thing he says is he didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Evan actually tells the truth mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. but the family doesn't want to believe it. 
Right. And nobody in this world wants, or rather, everybody wants to believe this story that he mm -hmm. tells. Um, so, of course, he is the ringleader of that and the instigator. But there is some complicity. And uh, um, I, this is, it's an interesting question because uh, throughout the preview process and throughout um, the out-of-town uh, production and in off-Broadway, there was always uh, there were always a certain number of people who thought he didn't suffer enough right. for what he did. I was thinking that, and, and and always people who thought he suffered too much for what he right. did. So it's it, it it ultimately comes down to me to um, some of the the um, there's a the song "Words Fail" that mm -hmm. that Ben sings. It's a beautiful song that Ben and Justin have written, and in that song, which becomes really a soliloquy, we see this person Evan just his soul is bared. Um, it, it's like somebody without skin. And to me, having seen the misery and the depths to which this character falls, I feel by the end that he has paid a, mm -hmm. a terrible price. And he has come out on the other side and realized what he has done. And uh, They're I, all better for it. They are all better for it. And it right. is the beauty of the show, I think, and the reason why people do want to talk about it when they leave the theater, in that you can again, interpret it the way you want to. Right. Uh, you know, uh, someone who's not a parent might look at him and say, he, you know, he hasn't paid enough. But as mm -hmm. a parent, I look at him and think, especially because of words fail, um, he has been absolutely tortured. You see why this happened right. to him. Um, and this probably will never happen to him again because no. he learned right. the lesson. Absolutely. And then last in this section, one of the things that's interesting, because you did hit a meme of fake news and things that we think we get so excited about something that's real and genuine online, it turns out to be false or an advertising or a marketing thing. Um, this election, fake news everywhere kind of thing. And now the president just uses it as a catchphrase, like sad. How do you feel like you've worked into that? Because he does fake news. This is fake news. Either of you. It's incredible that that has been happening and, and happened around the show. I mean, I, we didn't couldn't have predicted that. I know, wow. Um, but there was certainly... The the thing I feel about the relationship between the show and what's happening in the world is... Uh, I, I remember we had rehearsal the day after the election. Mm -hmm. And showing up for rehearsal, um, everyone was so <laughs> depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was something about the story we were telling um, that I could tell... I, I was so happy to be in that room telling mm -hmm. this story about people rising above... Uh, the lies and kind of finding unity together. There's something about this story. But the story. lies are precisely why it happened. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what we got for the, we were all paying for that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Which I mean, and yet, and yet the final scene of our show set in, in, in an apple orchard, orchard that mm -hmm. was planted in, in Connor's honor and mm -hmm. not exactly in a sort of straight line yeah, way. Yeah, it never happened. Yeah. But, but yet, uh, you know, as Evan says at the end of the show, you're, you know, you, it, it, he was memorialized and there is this moment to step out into the son. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people will say, you know, is it a show about death? And I always say, it's absolutely not. It's a show about life mm -hmm. and how we live it. Right. Um, and I think, you know, for all of us on that dark day that we came to rehearsal, being in the theater mm -hmm. where we all have the license to, you know, be the people that we are, the little strange, quirky, Evan-like people that we all are. Um, well, you know, everyone in theater is like that. Yeah. yeah um, pretty much. Um, it's a good place for people. I hope right. more people will listen to this and come. And then at the same time, when you have this going, this fake news and where it leads to, how do we get back to community? I think that was really what I took away from it. And it's interesting that Mark Zuckerberg, actor of Facebook, 
did a 6,000-word essay about this, essentially saying, well, he essentially said that the solution to an over-Facebook of the world is more Facebook. But the idea that we need to get back, there's no more offline communities, and we're not connected offline anymore. And what happened in your play is the online frenzy created an offline community of the families and everything else. It led to offline, which was interesting. Yeah, it begins with a boy in his room with his computer, and it ends... Before the orchard, it ends with him finally face to face with his mother. Right. No screens between them. Right. Really having to tell each other the truth. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I think what's interesting about the fake news is clearly facts don't work to dispel it. Mm-hmm. Like that's not no, going to work. No, you can't keep doing it. So what people it, get frustrated. There's something. It feels like what a lot all those fake news things are hitting on is a true emotion that mm-hmm. people are feeling. And I think that's sort of what what Evan taps into is even though what he says isn't true, there's something that feels true about it. And and, and it feels like somewhere that's the solution to the fake news right. is to reach people in in their core. To make actual connections. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, because you do make actual connections by the end from fake connections, which I thought was really, it's kind of a mind fuck, but it was interesting <laughs> to me. All right, when we get back, we're talking right now to Stacey Mindich and Steve Levinson, the producer and book writer of the hit show on Broadway, Dear Evan Hansen. We'll be back to talk about where theater's going uh, as we move forward in the digital age. This podcast is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your jobs on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job on more than 100 job sites, including Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in. Find out about why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com decode. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com decode. We're here today on Recode Decode in New York City, and we're talking to Stacey Mindich and Stephen Levinson, the producer and book writer of Dear Evan Hansen, which is a show I saw. It's fantastic on Broadway. It's the hardest ticket to get right now. Everybody wants to go. Um, And it's a musical about a high school student uh, with social anxiety disorder and social media problems. We've talked a lot about the show itself, but let's talk about doing theater now. Um, I had Jeffrey Sellers from the producer of Hamilton on, and I've been fascinated with theater my whole life. I've gone to theater in New York my whole life. What's it like to create theater in this age, in this age of digital? Because things have, how you market the shows have changed, how you sell tickets has changed. Everything has done that. Stacey, why don't you start talking about that idea of how you create an analog experience of just one place in mostly New York City or wherever to reach audiences, especially young ones. Well, the extraordinary thing that happened with this show right from our very first production at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., was that people organically found us. They may have started finding us um, because Ben Platt was about to come out in the second Pitch Perfect movie Mm -hmm. or because Pasek and Paul had a following of millennials who were very adept at social media. Mm -hmm. Um, But we found that we gathered fans very, very quickly, um, and, uh, and they stayed with us. And And so one of our approaches in not really selling tickets, but in keeping our own community alive was really to talk directly to the fans, to always give them something first, because we believe that they are part of the reason why we were able to go from arena to second stage and second stage to Broadway. Um, And they have filled our our theaters um, and broad groups. And, Mm -hmm. And we know that because we 
hear we hear from them. Um, as Stephen said earlier, they write to us in droves. Our um, you know we have a contact list of of uh, from our website of you know, multiple thousands and thousands of people that most shows don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we announce a new block of tickets on sale, we give the fans a two-hour heads up because, as you said, it is hard to to sell tickets, and that hurt, hurts us in some mm-hmm. ways. As mm-hmm. much of a blessing as it is, we want the people who love our show and loved it first to be able to come. We give them a heads up. We have an ad campaign. We haven't really... Um, you know, made a big deal about it right now. But our key art shows, uh, you know, Evan's torso mm-hmm. whole, in a ca- with his arm in the cast. Right. You don't see his head, but you see a sea of faces surrounding him. Um, and, you know, in the beginning of the ad campaign, those faces were actually stock faces that we bought. Right. But we actually went out to our fans and we told them exactly how to take a picture of themselves oh, wow. and send their faces in to us. Huh. Um, and now... That mosaic, as we call it in our key art, is all 100% our fans' faces. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they've discovered it yet. They <laughs> might after hearing this. We weren't going to do a very big thing yeah. about it right at this but moment. But created a connection with them. But, but we did that. On our stage at the end of Act One, in our Act One finale called "You Will Be Found," um, the the um, the projections and you know, which basically is the internet, mm-hmm. goes viral. It goes wild. Yeah, it goes with viral. People yeah. holding up signs that say hashtag you will be found mm-hmm. supporting the the Connor project and Evan and 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 the 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 idea that this boy you know w- w- was made a friend and mm-hmm. and all of that and all of those people are actually real people. Two that we asked, you know, just among our it? fan group to send us videos of themselves. And we had people oh, from really? the age, well, yeah. we, we weren't able to take um, people, I think, under the age of 18. Right. But the, these people are from the age of 18 to the age of 80-something. Right. Um, from all over the country and actually all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they're in our show. Right. You did a r- super effective job depicting how something takes off virally. And, well, the and you use the set, the yeah. set design, where the, the information is just cascading and flooding yes. down the picture of how, like, it's how really it a credit feels like to, your phone. Yeah, is, it's really a credit to our director, Michael Greif, and our designers, Dave Corrins. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter Negrini was our video designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just done incredible work. Uh, and it's so exhaustive and so detailed. It is. It feels um, very much like a phone. Partly because we see up. the show so many times, so we we get really granular. Oh, you start to look at individual <laughs> yes. ones? You know, and, and it's like, like, well, that's not quite so right. What were you were, what were you going for that? That was to create that feeling of being on a phone. Or being yeah, we wanted to feel, you know, even though the show isn't explicitly this, it feels like it's from Evan's point of view, yeah. I think, in a lot of ways. So I think that's how the world feels to someone like Evan. It's right. just an assaultive... And it also was refresh, refresh, refresh. Yes, absolutely. It's just never ending. Right. right. Um, and then there are those moments where it goes quiet, which is... Those are generally the emotional moments in the show. And then you also... The hashtag. I love the... Mm-hmm. the my favorite expression is hashtagivism. You know what I mean? That we get, like, these yeah. hashtags... Some of them are very funny, but a lot of them are very earnest and horrible in some way. You know what I mean? Like, And that's what you do. You don't actively participate in the world, but that's how you comment. And you talked about it right. at the beginning. But your show has benefited from that, too. Like, you're, I've seen so much stuff that is very earnest about the show in the way that the stuff about Connor is earnest. You you it's know. a very weird meta thing yeah. <laughs> where, where people are really, um, really responding to that idea of you will be found, mm-hmm. which is actually when Evan is saying it in the musical is not true. I mm-hmm. mean, he's making up a story. Right. But 
it's a story that actually becomes true Real. for him right. and for all of these people. So it's like there's so many weird layers and yeah. you start to feel a little So on dizzy. that stage, I'm trying to think you, and you also use it in your own marketing. You had Twitter, Facebook, what else? Uh, Instagram, I think. Instagram was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a lot of just sort of expressionistic approaches right. to the internet, just kind of like, you know, fractured images YouTube and seems text. To be, YouTube is... Yes, yes. absolutely. It, but it was never meant to be literal because right. we hope the show will live for many years yeah. and these things may become, you know, dinosaurs. Right. Um, and so it was really just meant to surrealistically portray the way we are all barraged. Of, yeah, barraged. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't use Snapchat, though. That was interesting. I was, of course, I noticed that. Oh, that's Where's so interesting. Snapchat? Where is yeah, we were always... That's That's been a constant negotiation was how specific do we want the technology right or something like a snapchat yeah 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 of course the filters would be tasteless um (laughs) hey let's make it run yes totally so again getting back to how you do theater do you feel good about theater now that people there's been some shows that have been real like touchstones like yours and hamilton and some others that have been really um there's a new i can't remember the latest one but there's a bunch that are now maybe it's the groundhog day one it seems fantastic like in some ways at the time when people are going less and less analog and experiencing everything online there's been some real cultural touchstone shows now well shows have um you know i think uh changed so much in that they're a little some some of them are still you know about something fantastical Mm -hmm. but they're so much more rooted in reality and Mm -hmm. you know i i look at you know rent being a really a grand was a a grandfather Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. dear evan hansen happening Mm -hmm. we happen to have the same director also but rent paved the way for i'm skipping some in between but but next to normal and next Mm -hmm. to normal paved the way for Fun Home and Fun mm-hmm. Home I remember the season oh. Fun Home was you know was just starting and I was watching it so closely because I knew if they could tell that story then there was so much hope that we could tell our story right, absolutely. so I think each one really um, leads the world the theater world to mm-hmm. the ability to do more and to be more honest right um, I, of course we still all want to you know come and be entertained I can't wait to see Hello Dolly I, I cannot wait to just yeah. delve into that beautiful history of a musical um, but but the the new theater that is exciting to me is um, is being created by young people mm-hmm. who have something very interesting to say about the way they're seeing the world. Right. So how do you feel about Stephen? I, I just did an yeah. interview with Alison Bechdel. I love Alison oh, Bechdel. She's yeah. amazing. Um, well, I think these things. I mean, they must be cyclical. But it, it does feel. I mean, it feels like there are a few things going on. But one of them being that the the sort of pervasive irony and. Um, uh, sarcasm, for lack of a better word, of, of of the last several years, people have grown a little tired of that. I mm-hmm. think, and there's a real mm-hmm. hunger for um, art that's sincere and that is heart heart filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that with you know even the show This Is Us on mm-hmm. NBC. Like yep. people are turning to uh, people want to feel something. Sure. Um, and uh, and and Hamilton absolutely is similar. And, and I also think that that there is something in a world where everything is digital. People are going back to handmade in mm-hmm. some ways, and people are really hungering. Well, that's just Brooklyn. For, go yes, ahead. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like people are hungering for something that is ephemeral and something that's just here and now, because yeah. everything else is, you know, permanent and online. It, it feels like people want. But is theater retro? Is that a retro? Like, hey, let's put on our cashmere sweaters. I think theater the 50s, is just or not. No, no, I don't. I th- I think so, it's sorry. sorry I, I don't think it's retro. I think it's. Um, I, I think people are hungering to feel a part of a community and to to, to be sitting in an audience with other people, and mm-hmm. maybe that does feel retro. Right. Um, but but it's something that I think people 
um, are missing. I mean, I heard this interesting statistic the other week that, um, which feels related somehow, mm -hmm. that young people are buying more books mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now. Like oh, book true. sales are going up, um, and Kindle and eBooks are really being bought by uh, middle-aged people. Hmm. Um, yes, not that's by, true. That's true. And so it does feel like there's something, especially with younger people, wanting something unique and something you can touch. I and, do think you're right about books. I have a and theater who's younger feels and that is like, way. oh, I just bought this book. I'm like, physical book? Yeah, like, no, what? they are buying books <laughs> because and, I think they, like, they they're heavy. <laughs> you know, they're they've grown up with um, screens and iPads and it feels like they yeah. what about you, the idea of getting people especially I, I younger think people it's in just um, it, it's actually so much simpler than that where else do you actually have to put your phone away mm -hmm. where yeah. else do you have well, you to shut it off don't. Like, well if you don't somebody <laughs> might throw it at yeah. you yes. yeah. but um, but no but you have to I mean people always say to me take an hour put your phone away get away from it all mm -hmm. take a phone vacation mm -hmm. it's it's impossible mm -hmm. um, you know I used to tell my kids to take it off the dinner table but sometimes I have to have it at the dinner table right. there's just nowhere except the theater where you, re you really do you are instructed to turn your phone off mm -hmm. and so it is a, a, an a, an hour or two hours where you get into a story in a way that you can't anymore when you're watching television or even, even in movies. a movie theater right. because mm -hmm. you can right. be rude like that in a movie theater. Yeah, you theater. can. I call sometimes movies are three text movies or no text movies. Right. <laughs> it's like I'm like, okay, I have to text right. now. I'm done with this movie. Yes, it does seem uh, Sarah Rule, the playwright, had a play called Dead Man's Cell Phone where she <laughs> had a line where she said the only two places that are safe from cell phones now are theaters and churches. Right. <laughs> and not even then because you start yes. looking up things. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so funny when you're doing, you're looking up things like what is that or what is that? It was, I was at a party the other night and someone's like, what do you think happened to this person? I said, if only we had a device that we could search <laughs> and find things out. But then I remembered dinner parties where you just didn't know. You just ended up arguing yeah. about it and then that was the, you, you went home. Right. Like you, totally. didn't, you didn't have the answer, which was sort of, I was like, remember when you didn't have the answer and you just argued, got drunk and that was it. <laughs> that was the entire thing. Totally. But, but to get to the point is, do you feel like when I say retro, I'm talking about the ideas. What happens to theater going forward then? It just continues. It, it gets to people in an analog way because you can only reach so many. It's not scalable, as they say. Mm -hmm. It's not. Do you feel like you should have Evan? Are you, would, like I know Hamilton didn't put things online, like a ton of stuff. They purposely didn't. They were holding back the stuff. They did obviously make a CD, and you're selling music sales now go through individual songs. Although I think probably cast album, like theater albums, sell whole yeah. much better. How do you do? You not do that? Do you not put stuff online? Do you? What happens? Well, we don't have a current plan to to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and like you know, tape it and put it up on YouTube. No, and as a matter of fact, we spend a lot of our time trying to get bootleg tapes of it off of YouTube. Oh, people bringing. Oh, very much so. Yeah, no like matter an old what. Seinfeld episode. Remember? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Yeah. But um, no, I mean we're in a we're in a tiny theater really, uh -huh. and we very much want people to come and see us. See you yeah. rather. But you have, would you have plans to do that to have a a, a digital version of it not in the immediate future and because you just don't want to I, I think the power of live theater is very potent, especially with a tale like this. Right. Um, and and, and I, certainly, you know, if, if the the show continues to do well, it's something we'll entertain. But it, it, right or now... More likely you'll go out and do shows all over the country. Yeah. Yes, that right. will happen. Yeah, right. You say, but do you imagine a future where that doesn't happen, where we do, like, tape it and make it so feeling? Like, I was I was telling you earlier that uh, Viola Davis is working on a, on a VR version of Othello. Well, I'm thrilled Othello is going to get to people, so I'm sort of not averse to that idea. Well, the whole business of theater is about right. putting butts in seats. Right. But what so, if you could VR put them in seats? Yeah, it feels like there's, uh, it, it feels like there must be a middle ground because I do feel like 
ultimately what is going to separate theater from everything else is not the content. Uh, it's it's the experience. Right, it's the experience. sitting there in that theater, right. in that one place, with that one performance. I mean, I, I'm friends with um, the director of Hamilton who mm-hmm. was saying, you know, I was just sort of talking to him about the phenomenon of Hamilton mm-hmm. and what it's like. And as he pointed out, Hamilton ultimately is just the show that's going to happen at 8 p.m. tonight. Right. That's all there is. There is nothing show. else. Yep. You know? It's also a very traditional show, if you but, think about but it. But that idea that these shows, all they are is the next performance. There right. is no thing. And right. and I think that's what makes it special. It is, although I must say, to me, Hamilton is a movement, uh, a, a, a phenomenon, um, it, uh, something about that politics, is... Yeah, about civi- it civic is. It, it become If you have the f- good fortune to become successful, you do become something more. Mm-hmm. But the, the essence of it is sitting in that theater. It's got to go back to see, that. You don't see... Because right now, I was just invited to something in San Francisco where we will be wearing VR headsets during the show, wow. and it's Kind of yes, this, this that's a, the encounter. The it encounter. was on Broadway. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's quite extraordinary. Right. So what um, do you think of things like that? Because you could see it as experience, everyone's got to have a heightened sense of experience a, a, all the time. Like you have, to, you have to up the game. You know, to me, that feels more like an event than the, the theater that I grew up grew right. up on. And it may very well be a very generational thing. I'm mm-hmm. in my 50s. I want to continue to have that experience that I saw Chorus Line 28 times, mm-hmm. uh, not on Step VR. Kick one, two. <laughs> I um, so I, I wanted that tradition Step to continue kick. where you have that collective right. live experience where, you know, the turntable might stop mm-hmm. or, you know, you know the, just the, the experience that, you know, real actors are, are, are acting on their guts and instincts mm-hmm. right in front of you. There's something about, uh, you know, Hamilton being a prime example of there is something so old fashioned about it and Mm -hmm. yet something that is drawing people Mm -hmm. to it that I think has to do with seeing actors right there in front of you, seeing them sweat, seeing them spit, feeling like you are having this visceral experience in this room. And there's something quite special and intimate about that. I'm, I'm going to keep pushing this because you, yeah. you've got to see some of the new VR. It's you feel like you're there. There's haptic touch. There's I, feeling. No, I, like, I think there's storytelling. It's disturbing how real it feels. I think storytelling is going to continue to evolve into different forms and formats. And perhaps the story of Evan Hansen mm-hmm. could fit into that format. But I feel like what we have, the musical Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. is just that. And I, I feel like it's hard. You know, you know, I have mixed feelings about filming shows. Right. Because you lose something. Right. Uh, whereas if you adapt a musical into a film or adapt it into a TV series or a VR, then right. it becomes that. It becomes I, I, something else. I'm only else. mentioning VR because VR is different than film or right. television. Right. Because really you do feel in the scene. And then, so your show, which you can't get tickets to or someone in Kansas can't see mm-hmm. it, some lonely teenager... It's a very different thing that you could, instead of reaching, how many people fit in your theater every night? 984. Nine, okay, good, but who's good keeping to know. count? <laughs> who's keeping count? So, nine, so you go to 10,000. Right. Like, right. rather, at, at once. You know, and it's the people seeing it in the theater and then 10,000 others. But for us, I think what serves our show so well is the intimacy of right. those 984 <laughs> plus 16 standing room possibilities. <laughs> um, at, a, at a low, low price <laughs> of. <laughs> um, it, it really is the the intimacy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't want to lose that. And I wouldn't want a device on my head or my eyes to, uh-huh. to take me away from that. That is cool. That is an event. That may be something else I would pay the money for. But, but, but for it's me, different. It's going to be something yeah. else that that's all i mean i think it's going to be that experience could exist but it won't be the same right you know right. it'll be its own thing so where do you see theater going 
in, for me, is it this one square mile abroad, you know, or whatever? The, well, for me, I think uh, I, I like to think of it in a sort of less um, logistical way. Mm-hmm. I think theater is going forward in the kinds of stories we can tell, being as authentic as possible, realistic, organic, um, the the way that you can depict things on the stage. I mean, the projections we have in our show are not something you would have seen in a show no, even not two or three years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, the te- and they're an important part of the plot. They, they're they mm-hmm. an important part of the fabric of the whole right. thing. And right. there's going to be a moment when they do when those feel like dinosaurs. Right. And yeah. I, I do believe that we're going to look back and think, oh my goodness, projections, that is so... You know, right. <laughs> so old fashioned. I think we we have no idea yet what the next thing is going to be. But it, but, but think about this, Stephen. If they yes. do a revival of this yes, show in sure. twenty five years, they could do it in a retro way with no projections. I, I actually oh. have in my mind the minimalist version of the show oh. with no projections and no. Oh no, no! I think you need projections. But it could be interesting. I mean, so I agree. The I words, think... the score. No, I get and it. The but you have to feel the panic of social yes, media. Yes. That's why it's, I think it's a character. The, but in twenty five years, we may have all been over and done with that well, panic. But you'll have. You know what? You'll have it in your eyes. You'll have. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, but they're coming. You'll, you ever see Black Mirror? Where yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to have that. It's, gonna, it, it's I'll gonna, probably have glaucoma no, by then. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you think about that, it's it's an interesting question of whether you you do do that. Uh, you know, I told just your director Michael is. Uh, did Rent, and I remember when Rent came out, it was mind-blowing to see Rent at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old you are, but it was mind-blowing. Yeah. And I went a dozen times. I saw the early versions of it, um, and it was that and Angels of America were very big deals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just saw it in San Francisco. They have the 20th anniversary revival, is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating because it was so old and so relevant at the same time. So you felt the age of it because it felt like old, like you're talking about, like, yeah. doesn't this look quaint? And you sort of had the memories of when you saw it where it didn't feel quaint, but you couldn't revive those feelings. And then it was so relevant to today at the same time. Like, it was fascinating to have all that going on For some once. reason, we always talked about the um, the beginning of Bye Bye Birdie. Do you know that musical? Yeah, of course and the, I do. With the telephone oh, chain yeah. mm-hmm. and how that is, you know, inextricably linked to that technology mm-hmm. of a, you know, just a, mm-hmm. an old an old fashioned phone. And yet watching it now, you don't feel like it's old fashioned. No, it's or, or you feel like the technology is old-fashioned, but the emotions are, are real and the right. story you can follow. And sure. So it, it feels like the forms are changing, but the the ideas underneath them are not. Well, yeah, Waving Through a Window is the telephone song from Bye Bye Birdie without right. a doubt. Absolutely. Right, right. Well, although I had to explain a telephone to one of my kids recently, <laughs> like oh. a, a payphone, because we saw a payphone and they were like, what's that? I'm like, oh. Okay, let me just break it down for yeah. you. And it was fascinating. Just even the handset I was like, that's interesting. What did you use that for? I well, saying. I had to right. explain to one of my sons how to actually call someone's home <laughs> because they're so used to calling oh, someone directly. Right. They don't ever have to say to the mother, hi, it's Danny. Can I please speak to, you yeah. know? Right, right. <laughs> or even knowing phone numbers. But that's another. We're yeah. sounding yes. like old people. <laughs> are. That's angry old men shaking their fists <laughs> at the internet. All right, I want to finish up on what do you hope to, where it to go, where it happens? Because you definitely... You're very current. This is a very current show. And also, uh, just a, like you said, a traditional story of, of loneliness. So many shows and mu- movies and everything else, a lot of literature is about that, mm-hmm. of finding connection. Are you trying to make people feel better about the idea that you can be connected in this interconnected world where I think nobody's felt lonelier than ever before? What, yeah. do you, what do you hope to accomplish, each of you? It's a really good question. I, I do hope, and it seems to um, occasionally work this way, that, that people are leaving the theater and at least being more mindful, I think, of the way that uh, they use technology. It's certainly done that for me. It's mm-hmm. just made me more aware of 
uh, when I'm using technology as a crutch or as a way of avoiding interactions. Have you stopped um, using it? No, not necessarily. Yeah. But I'm definitely more aware of of, of using it, and I, and I'm trying to be. I, I hope that the show makes people uh, more present. Hopefully, with the people uh, that they're in the room with. You present. Know? Yes. Okay. What about you, Stacey? I just think it's an incredible conversation starter. And when you start talking about these things, all kinds of good can come from it, not just in terms of being mindful and maybe you're too disconnected from the mm. world uh, by being on your phones. But but also, you know, we, we have issues of um, loneliness and, you know, people, people bring what they – um, what they're going through to the show. So mental illness, suicide prevention. So I hope it's a conversation starter about so many issues, but mostly I hope it's a catharsis for the people who come to see it because it's a catharsis for me every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, There's not a night where I don't shed a tear. Sometimes at a song I'm surprised yeah. never made me cry before. And you're also not trying to do lesson learning. You know, sometimes no, like exactly. lessons were learned and you're like, oh. I, I hope that people, you know, who, who have felt like Evan... Uh, and who have felt like everybody else is having a wonderful life except for them, mm-hmm. do see it and see that, you know, beneath the facade, we're all searching for the same things. We're all well, feeling the, the song same says, the song literally says, you're not alone. Right, we're right. not alone. Hashtag, we're mm-hmm. not alone. All right, my very last question I ask everybody, and maybe here we'll do it a little differently. What's the worst social media thing you've done? Like, what's mis- I talk about mistakes. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I always say, what's the mistake you made that you could correct or what you learned from it? I don't mean a learning moment, but like, it's something you would not, you'd advise people to pay attention to. I'm still new to social media, so mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I can do that. I can only tell you the funny story that we all just do things too quickly, mm-hmm. and we make silly mistakes all the time. You mm-hmm. know, like I will email my husband, you know, Chinese for dinner, and his name is Eric, but a different Eric will email me back <laughs> and say, sure, Chinese works for me. You know, we just we just do things in haste, and uh-huh. we, you, when yes. you do that, you can make silly mistakes that give you a laugh yeah. and horrible mistakes that ruin right. your life. Yeah, I and hate that lady. Yeah. Yeah. Never send an email when you're angry oh. has been the best lesson. <laughs> like it's never, it's never a bad idea to wait. You will never regret having right. slept on it. That, that's been the lesson I've learned. Yeah, you know, people, especially and texting is even. Oh yeah, because like, I get so riled and then that yeah. doesn't go down. What about all the angry people who tweet? Right. <laughs> yes, yes, you just got to take a moment. Are and, you big tweeters? You know, Are you big? No, no, no tweeters. <laughs> Too much pressure. Too much pressure. Yeah, oh, I have a hundred followers on Instagram. All right, I'll follow you. <laughs> Are you private though? You can be private. I'll I'll accept you. All right, okay, okay. Because if you're not if you're not not private, that's why you have that many stuff like that. Anyway, this has been really fascinating. It's a, a wonderful show. I recommend it. I hope it goes on forever. I hope it goes. Is it coming to San Francisco? I'm just curious for the Silicon Valley read. We believe it will. Someday. Someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It should go everywhere because I think it's a really, I do think you should get some of it a little bit online because I think it's uh, certain parts of it are really resonant in this age and really talk about things in a real fair way. And that's what I really appreciate is it wasn't a, an att- I thought it was going to be an attack on technology, which I don't mind, by the way, but <laughs> it was really smart. It was a smart way to talk about hard things. And thank you so much for making it. Thank you for having um, me. Stacey and Stephen, thanks for coming by. It's great to talk to you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Hamilton producer Jeffrey Seller, Fun Home author Allison Bechdel, and the cast and creators of HBO's Silicon Valley. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. 
I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your tech questions about consumer goods. And on Recode Replayed, you can find audio from all of our Recode Live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up soon. This year at Code, we'll have Mark Andreessen, Ruth Peratt, Travis Kalanick, and many more. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another great episode of Recode Deep Code. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.